Antarctica, old cycle 2310. Aspen knew the old saying was right. Purgatory would be Antarctica in June. The weather was unpredictable. Bitter winds, flash frosts, powder twisters, polars, large white bears that had migrated decades earlier to the last remnants of the ice shelf stalked the cold plains. SPEC program dogs hid in the stubby permatrees to scavenge off the polars' kills. The dogs had been brought to the research compound as small, specially bred guardians, but had escaped to mate with the native Arctic lupus species, transforming them into wild, mangy giants. In some places, the ice had melted for the summer months, revealing swaths of desolate black beaches. The land itself rebelled against the research compound, struggling to pick off her team through hypothermia or predation. Three had been killed in attacks by polars. Two more due to malfunctioning comms. They had frozen to death out in the tundra, unable to navigate the whitewashed terrain in the dark. One had suffocated in his bioregulator suit because of shortcutting safety procedures. He'd been surrounded by his team, and they'd watched him die, helpless. His was the only body they'd been able to bury. Survival was difficult, but it was possible for now. Non, je ne regrette rien. Edith Pia's voice floated through the compound. Baldan was playing his blasted decks through the comm system again. Aspen sighed, setting her computab on the cot beside her, and pulled on a nylon jacket embroidered with the seal of the organization that had commissioned the trip the United Nations Salvation Project. The UNSP, the UNSP was a private nonprofit funded by the United Nations with the goal of solving the world's problems. World hunger, rising ocean levels, natural disasters. There is no proof that they'd done any good one way or the other, but they made people feel safer and allowed her to pursue her research, so she didn't complain. The phosphos flicked off as Aspen left her sleeping quarters, triggered by the power-saving motion sensors mounted beside the door. Oi, Baldan! She found her head mechanic and structural engineer sitting on the couch, tinkering with some kind of most likely unsanctioned device. He glanced up, glasses askew on the bridge of his nose. His bright red hair was standing on end, as if he'd been charged with 10,000 volts. Qua? Turn that racket off, will you? Aspen ducked beside him into the kitchen, shoulders slumping when she opened the food storage cabinet. Compartments were labeled with the team members' names. Jacques Baudin, Sophia Capello, Charlie Taylor, Aspen Miller. Several bins were empty, the sellotape name tags ripped off. In her compartment, only one serving of micrograins remained. The next supply drop would have to come soon. Mais pourquoi? Baudin huffed, hunching over the control panel on the wall to his left. He popped out a music deck, lines of cursive covering its surface, and the sound of the long-dead singer's haunting voice abruptly ended. Aspen imagined Baudin's wife back in the French Republic, scribbling desperately onto the one non-essential possession her husband could take with him on his indeterminately long research venture to one of the most inhospitable places on earth. The tiny woman had been nearly inconsolable the day of departure, and Aspen remembered the sight of her being hauled away by UNSP security, flailing her arms and screaming unintelligibly. 
Baldan plopped back onto the couch, prodding the half-assembled device that he'd been working on with a dejected expression. You know I cannot work without the music. Are you doing sanctioned mission-related work, Baldan? Well, the contract was not precise in its clarity for that area. Aspen laughed, snatching the last plastic-wrapped container of micrograins and ripping it open. The smell of cinnamon and home engulfed her nostrils. That's what I thought. Don't need what's left of my crew getting jailed. She poured the grains into a bowl and stuck it into the multi-use processor set in the wall over the counter. The white box turned an electric blue, humming softly. The hiss of steam erupted as the grains were bathed in a gaseous cloud. She opened the processor on the first electronic beep and cupped the bowl of hot grains in her hands, the warmth sending a shiver down her spine. Turn on the telly, would you? Aspen tucked her feet under her as she sat at one of the chairs at the kitchen table. Its surface was covered in handwritten notes on their experiments and pictures of barren soil and withered plants, so she balanced the bowl on her knees while she ate. Besides the unreliable comms link with the home base on the ISC Explorer, which was currently moored somewhere off the coast of Australia and just out of reach of their small transporter ship, the telly was their only link to the outside world. The vid screen clicked on in response to Baudin's touch. It was tuned to one station that reached them, the International Security Broadcasting Network. The ISB network was a conglomeration of news stations that the UN used to convey urgent messages simultaneously on a global scale. So, bottom line, if you must eat meat, make it a special treat rather than a staple, a U.S. newscaster said, voice positive. Aspen understood they couldn't afford to incite panic in the most influential nation on Earth. But the U.S. was the last country left without a mandated rationing system. Most countries had been on the strict two-and-two daily plan, two portions of protein-enriched rice and two portions of Nutri-Strong vitamin yogurts for at least five years. And she knew the time for concealing the truth was long past. The ag industry was dying. Only a fraction of the land left on Earth was farmable, and they didn't even have the capability to feed enough livestock to nourish the population of the U.S., much less the world. That was one reason they'd been sent to Antarctica. Part of their mission was to test new botany techniques in the harsh climate to try to coax life into the barren landscape. This biome wasn't much different than regulators' predictions for the rest of the world in a decade. Soon, all of them would have to learn how to survive like this. The program started flipping through headlines detailing the various ways the Earth and humanity were slowly destroying themselves. Early reports from Afghan, Pakistani, and Indian officials put the death toll at more than 3,000, with thousands of others injured. Another earthquake had struck the Middle East, the third that month. Continental plate activity was increasing. Some reports said that the Middle East would be compacted to half its size by the end of the decade. We urge the United States to refrain from saying or doing anything provocative and act responsibly in maintaining regional peace and stability. A woman dressed in a smart suit said, the UN emblem behind her, the U.S. was threatening to close its borders again. Central American immigration was at an all-time high after the Pacific consumed miles of its coast and temperatures rose to the mid-hundreds that summer. Hey... 
A hand was placed on Aspen's shoulder, and she was drawn away from the images of destruction. Aspen. There was desperation in Char's voice, but she couldn't look at him. Her lead researcher and botanist had had nothing save bad news since day one. He was going to tell her that the latest samples were inconclusive, that they would have to start again from ground zero, that the next supply drop wouldn't be there for another two months, that they would have to live off protein rations again. Instead, he uttered four simple words that made her heart pound. Did you see it? She bolted upright, taking in Char's dishevelment, his unruly, curly brown hair, his wrinkled sweater bunched up to the elbows, his wool socks, one red plaid and the other black stripes. He'd forgotten the other half to the striped pair on her bedroom floor last night. She would have to sneak it into the laundry with her own things. Baudin looked up in surprise from the common room, his face pale. Aspen knew, no matter what she saw, she would have to remain composed for her team's sake. She took a deep breath and grabbed the tab from Char's outstretched hand. It was difficult to decipher what she was supposed to be looking for at first. It was an image of the ice shelf nearest to the shore where the compound was stationed. Icebergs floating in the frigid waters, mountainous ridges of snow-capped peaks in the distance. Then she saw it. It was fracturing, a single jagged tear with rises of ice peeling away on on either side. She'd noticed the rumblings of tectonic movement more often, and they'd had several quakes in the last few months, but she hadn't expected this. It had appeared seemingly overnight. What the hell are we supposed to do? Char growled. Aspen's eyes snapped to his, and he shrunk under her glare. Their relationship was unsanctioned, born from months of confined, controlled space and an incident when the heat went offline at one of the remote stations and her allowance of insubordinate behavior wouldn't go unnoticed. Baudin muted the telly and glanced between Charlie and Aspen nervously, fingers twitching around a piece of machinery, twisting the metal gears. I don't know, Aspen snapped back, flipping through the rest of the images on the vid screen in quick succession. She'd never seen plate movement so violent and tangible. It was as if the land was competing against itself for space, and at a stalemate, it instead climbed into the sky to escape. We have to report it, don't we? We have to report it. If we don't, Char trailed off, thoughts flashing clearly across his face. But if we report it, we'll have to leave. We'll have to abandon the mission. Aspen knew all of this. To stay was to kill her team. To leave was to kill the world. What will we do? Baudin now stood beside Char, white-knuckled, clutching his dissembled mechanism. I don't know, Aspen mumbled. Her pulse thrummed in her ears, palms sweaty. She wiped her hands on her jacket, but they slid uselessly off the nylon. Tectonic movement went one thing, earthquakes. The compound couldn't withstand much of a beating, so to stay away for more than a day longer would be at risk. But a last-minute evacuation would also result in more research being lost in the pandemonium, more of their work rendered worthless. We'll have to make a decision by the end of the day, Char said. Otherwise, the explorer won't have time to plan for a return before the next lunar period. Captain? Baudin, Char turned towards her. I don't know, she screamed. Baudin flinched at her outburst and Char's face transformed into a grimace. She felt the walls of their tiny compound, air-regulated and trapped by a glass encasement, everything labeled and organized, the inconclusive research looming in innumerable piles, grow closer to her, the claustrophobia overwhelming. 
Capitan! Valdana yelled as Aspen sprinted past them towards the detox room. She grabbed a bioregulator suit from her compartment and began sliding on the thick neoprene material. The boots were just a little too big and knocked against her ankles when she walked. The oxyhelm fit snugly over her head, giving the world a fish-eye perspective. She wished she could feel the heat of the sun or the caress of the wind, but the atmosphere's composition was too thin for them to survive without the oxyhelms and bioregulator suits. She turned at the sound of footsteps pounding up to the door. I need space, Baldin. She motioned for the engineer to take a step back and pulled off one of her gloves, putting a finger to the flashlock mount mounted next to the door panel. A drop of blood welled up on the tip of her skin, and she wiped it off on her suit before replacing the glove. The door slid closed and decompression started. Whenever Aspen had to make a big decision, she always took a walk to Karos River. It was the only running river near enough to the compound to reach by foot, but that wasn't the reason she loved it. The crystal blue water was something of a scientific anomaly, just like them. Since it was fed by glacial runoff, they'd wanted to utilize it to supply drinking water. However, upon analysis for impurities, they discovered that oil pockets fed into the river, making the purification process for consumption nearly impossible with their limited resources. But natural gases sometimes leaked from the cracks in the shoreline, causing patches of rock to ignite with light orange, odorless flames. As a result, the river ran all year long. It took her 20 minutes to reach the Karos, navigating around hollowed pockets of wind-shaped snow and places where she knew the ice was thin. She stopped at the shore, breathing heavily. Beside her was the paradoxical flowing water of the river, resilient despite the overwhelming odds against it. In the distance, she could see a powder twister uprooting thousands of pounds of packed snow. The wind howled and she knew that somewhere a SPEC dog lupus hybrid was feeding on the scraps of dead things. And there she was, one tiny human trying to defy the odds. Aspen had once read about an ancient Celtic idea of the physical and spiritual. Heaven and earth, the Celts believed, were often closer than humans thought. In thin places, they believed one could feel the divine. Aspen thought she could feel the divine along the icy bank of the Karos. Deep in her gut, she knew that she had to stay until her job was done, until her calling was complete. But Aspen also knew what her duty was as captain of the expedition. She had to get her surviving crew members safely back to their families. Could she abandon their year's worth of research? They'd only just begun having positive results growing cold-resistant crops and artificially enriching soil deposits to maximize product yield. And their tests on Envirodome technology were still in their infancy. The compound itself was a beta for the large-scale models the UNSP was designing in R&D back in New York. There had been discussions about constructing a fully operational Envirodome in place of the compound later that year which would revolutionize long-term sustainability experiments. Aspen stumbled, tripping on a loose piece of bedrock and fell to her knees. Shit, she cursed under her breath. She thought she'd just been deep in thought and lost her balance, but then the earth beneath her shook violently. It was as if the ground had become liquid. Aspen struggled to stand upright, holding her arms out to her side to steady herself, but she was too clumsy in the bioregulator suit, pitching forward to her knees again. She looked to her right towards the plains. SBEC dog hybrids and polars were running towards clumps of perma trees, trying to get away from the coast. 
the ice shelf was fracturing. Miller, Aspen flinched as her surname was yelled in her comms unit. Sophia Capello, one of the secondary researchers and newly appointed communications manager, had abandoned regulation by not addressing her as captain, but Aspen waved it off. She was just glad for contact. Copy, I'm here. Aspen felt the bedrock rolling beneath her and tried to keep her voice even. She'd never been outside the compound when a quake hit. Her comms unit was full of static and Aspen had trouble distinguishing the sound of Capello's voice. Where are you? The geopositioning tower must have been knocked out. Karos, about one kilometer from the compound. Aspen gulped, glancing behind her. She could see the compound's metal and glass reflected in the sunlight. What the inferno is happening out there? I've got prelims from Station 6 reaching a 13.8 magnitude. Capello's voice grew to a high fevered pitch. Dios mio, how is that possible? These are just the prelims. Aspen held her breath for three long seconds before exhaling. She had no time to waste worrying about the unheard of magnitude of the quake, about emergency evac procedures, about how long it would take her to fight against the roiling snow and ice to reach the compound. She had no choice. Capello, listen to me. Send out an SOS signal to base. Pack up the main hard drives and the rest of the protein rations and tell Char and Baudin to help you. Then I want you to take the transport ship as near to the Explorer as you can manage. They can send a support team to pick you up from there. Capello's voice was small. What about you, Captain? Don't worry about me, Capello. Get yourself and the others and leg it. Aspen went over the numbers in her mind. Char, Capello, and Baudin should have time to make it to the harbor before the full magnitude of the quake reached them. She would have a straight shot to the compound in that time, and the Envirodome would surely hold for one quake until base rescue teams could arrive. If she could reach the compound, she would be safe. But you have your orders, Capello. Tell Baudin and Char that I'll personally kick their asses if they don't follow my instructions to the letter. Aspen sighed, imagining the fight that Char would put up against the idea of leaving her behind, and unexpectedly, she felt a tug in her heart. She wanted to be selfish, wanted to make them wait and be safely in Char's arms. But she made an oath when she became their captain, their lives above hers. Yes, Capitan. Capello murmured. Oh, and one more thing. Aspen clenched her fists, pushing herself off the churning earth. The shaking rattled her bones, and she had to tighten every muscle to stay upright. She glanced behind her where great sheaths of snow were detaching themselves from mountain peaks and plummeting to the ground below. I'll see you all soon.